I'm making some conceptual effort without thinking about it. <laughs> Stating the intention to have the experience of uh, Vajragini as self in front arising, especially the the Vajragini uh, dancing on the crown of the head as the guru, always have that. It's like a licking, dancing flame of, of wisdom, light, compassion. And uh, that, in fact, uh, these these two self, these two arisings are none other than the nature of shunyata and are also identical with compassion for all beings. Further to that uh, little uh, note about food and uh, substances, there's you also have to watch. Excuse me. (coughs) You also have to watch um, association. In the same way that um, visiting the doctor's office, uh, if you're sick, often just clears it up. In the same way, uh, the placebo effect, which is very powerful, very strong, and very real, uh, just knowing you're being healed can heal. doesn't mean it's substance. In the same way, too, foods and situations and environments um, are associated with memory. They're already, they're already in, the, in the nervous system. So... Uh, foods, um, substances, coffee, tea, the sort of thing, um, 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 smoothies, w- whatever it is. Uh, it's it's not. Uh, by the way, there's a lot of scientific evidence for this. So it's not not just uh, imagination, but um, it's being intense. It's intensively studied. Uh, the association of that food sets off a physiological mm-hmm. reaction. In the same way that people say, you know, they have a sip of coffee. And they go, wow, I can really feel that. Well, there's no way the caffeine is actually in the blood. Come, come on, I mean, it's, just, it's just not, not a, uh, a chance. But the, the mapping of the taste and everything with it, even the cup shape and color influences the coffee. The latte art, how well the latte art is done, influences your experience. So it's all mind. It's all mind. But, but substances that go in, 
that are actually blocking the pranas or changing the pranas and leading to disruptions that you want to watch for. You want to really watch for this. Uh, in the same way, when we were in, in Kaspangampa in Ladakh, uh, which is a six, uh, six uh, dharma, six Niro- uh, dharmas in Europa, and Mahamudra retreat center in the, in the um, um, uh, Drigun Kagyu tradition, uh, the, we offered the, uh, all the lamas, the 14 lamas, um, uh, a beautiful meal, like a feast meal, from our, our, our cooks, you know, and uh, they, they, the, uh, um, what's it, um, no, what's his name? Anyways, the, the fellow that was um, speaking to us, because they were, most of them, they were all in retreat, uh, said, no, um, after a while he came back and said, no, no, they, they can't eat anything. Because for so many, three, four, six, ten, twelve years, they've been having sampa and tea. That's their diet. Dried cheese, sampa tea, some uh, apricots occasionally in the summertime. Uh, any food would just completely throw their systems off. They'd be sick. You see? So we realized food is really, uh, really critical. Uh, and uh, in doing these uh, practices, you, you have to get very skillful about the kind. So you, you see all kinds of yogic recommendations of people who have been in retreat for a long time about what they imbibe and take in. It's very, very important. Eventually, of course, eventually, you have to watch that you're um, um, not being prissy. Do you know what I mean by that, prissy? You're not, you're not being uh, full of fantasy. Yeah? And being able to um, uh, eat all kinds of things if, if they work with your body. Sometimes they don't, especially at a certain age. You, you see this. It's very, very, not just because my body goes this, but I see so many um, people, you know, um, sometimes in their 20s, but, but often in the 40s and 50s, you start to see the genetic um, propensities in family. And it's good to go talk to your parents and go talk to your family yeah. and go, you got that too? Yeah, exactly. You got that too? Exactly. And you start seeing it kicking around 50. This is, this is, this is well known. Genetic, genetic patterns, 50. If you've escaped it from your 30, 20s, 30s, and 40s, uh, likely kick in your 50s. All you need to do is just look at your parents, talk to your parents, go through their medical checklist and go, oh, I can see what's coming. It de- and, but it depends on the environmental factors that spore us. So for instance, you may have, there may be markers within your, your genes for heart disease or for diabetes. Yeah, and that can now be analyzed. But if you don't expose yourself to the environmental pressures that support that, even though you've got the markers for it, the genes for it, it may never ever come up in your life. But you can trigger it by putting yourself in a place where certain foods or a certain environment or a certain stressful environment um, allows for that to happen very rapidly. That's just very, very important. Other thing I wanted to mention this morning, just something to think about, is, is substances that you put in. When you're, when you're practicing as a yogin, the substances, the amount that you put in, what you put, you're going to get very sensitive and don't know that that sensitivity is creeping in. You have no idea how, how, how extraordinarily sensitive the organism is going to get to the point you can put a substance in there and you just feel it go right through the body and, and detect what it's doing, yeah? depending on the day, of course, the day and the hour. Uh, so this is something to be learned in the art of being in retreat, and I'm hoping that all of you uh, will eventually uh, do more and more self-guided retreats where you experiment. You get to do your own retreats. Come up here or other place in the world and retreat. Do it. That's where you learn a lot. 
not just in these kinds of retreats, but where you go and you you go, I'm going into retreat for a month, I'm going into retreat for three months and by myself and I'm going to see what, I'm going to be my own teacher. I've got some Dharma books, I've got a text and I'm going to go try it. Well, food becomes very important. Of course, your mental state around food becomes very important. <laughs> One of the best retreats I ever had in my life was with Namja Rinpoche uh, in this house in Hanya in Crete where we had feasts every night including drinking scotch and whiskey. And someone was mentioning that to me the other day, saying he was, he was, another, he was staying in another place, we'd be invited over every night, and there's a few of us in the house, and we'd be creating these elaborate meals and just walking up like this every night and going meditating on Mahamudra. Man, that was a good retreat. <laughs> but you see, it's guru devotion. It's guru devotion. No matter what's being fed, you know, whether you're full of chocolates, whether you're rolling around, your belly is hurting, it's like, oh man. It's, it's, it's still, the results happen because of the devotion and the confidence and the um, atmosphere of being in that uh, uh, quality. Anyways, I wanted to, to mention a question that Michael asked uh, about the rolling of the eyes. I don't recommend the rolling of the eyes. Um, certainly, you won't see me doing that very often in, in this type of practice. Um, but the rolling of the eyes has to do um, I'm just going to give you a hint, but I, I don't want you doing it um, unless it happens naturally, you know what you're doing. Okay, that's why I'm very careful. I don't always do it, but it does happen, and it's mostly to do with the visualization of the crown and to do with uh, entering into the mandala. So this is something um, I discovered. I, I, no one ever taught it to me. You see some, some yogis going like this and so on. That's for ecstasy. Um, but there's parts of the brain, areas, that you can access um, that have to do with a total visualization, have to do with all kinds of things. So where the, even where the eyes go and move around uh, allows you to access things. So sometimes in the entering into jhana of uh, the tigli, um, the eyes can float right up because the eyes go, go up into it. But it has a lot to do with um, um, uh, entering fully into the uh, into the vision, especially the the uh, what's happening up here. So hint, but I, I don't want in the same way. Um, I'm going to ask people if you're having body movements, you know, like shaking and rocking and rolling. It's okay for a little bit, but you read the text, you'll see stillness. Hold the body still. And people, I see people get too far out on this is now they get into, you know, rocking and rolling, this whole thing. But actually, it's important to keep the body still. Let those waves run through, if they are, and hold the body still. So uh, as a word of advice, no, a request. If this being is meditating at night and you want to sit right in front, Please don't fidget. Okay? Now, it's not that, I, that it's something that distracts me, but out of honor, right? Out of, out of honor for the Lama principle, don't sit in front of the Lama and fidget. And I would say that for all of you in the room, don't fidget. Don't fidget. As honor for everybody. Okay? So, so read the text and see. Read the text and see. And I, I believe in this is, yep, there's a time when it's okay to move about. 
Let the body move. Let the body express. Like that. Now, that's, that's outrageous. I'm just kidding. Bless you. Bless you. Uh, but uh, that's good timing. But there, are, but there is a time when you need to say, that's enough. That's enough. And, and, and hold the body still. And let it run through you without all this movement. Because you'll become addicted to that. I've seen it happen. One person in particular, once, um, uh, it started happening. And uh, it, it went on for five years. Every meditation, every Dharma discourse, it became their personality. You see? So, so watch for this. You know? So they became a shaker and a quaker, but they never came out of shaking and quaking. Addiction to what? Bliss, clarity, non-distinction, all the other stuff that can happen around that. So you can become addicted or become um, programmed, if you wish. You can program yourself to become clinging to what? All these other these manifestations, including purification stuff. I'm spiritual because I'm purifying. I'm spiritual because I'm bouncing around. I'm spiritual because I'm having visions. I'm spiritual because I'm having bliss. I'm spiritual because, 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 because. That's why it's so wonderful um, to hear the words of um, highly attained beings who are teaching Mahamudra and Dzogchen. And they're saying what? Cut it all out. There's only one clear path to the goal. If you want to go on the sidetracks, fine. But they keep pointing out the razor's edge. This is very, very, very important. Now, this morning. Do you have any questions? So that's about the rolling of the eyes. Is that pretty clear? Don't roll your eyes unless it happens naturally and... It works for you, but you will become, as I've seen, people that roll their eyes all the time, which is they're always sitting in meditation like this. Okay? And you'll do that. Or, or like something, <laughs> something. Right? Now you go, oh, the llama rolls his eyes. I'm going to roll my eyes too. No, I know this happens, so I, then I have to go in and correct that. Yeah, right? That's what happens. Monkey see, monkey do. <laughs> you know that expression? Monkey see, monkey do. Llama rolled up. Oh, I'm going to do that too. And then you see people, they're, they're in class. They're, they're, and they're in class. Oh, okay, any questions this morning? Yes. Ah, no sidetracks. But but if it's a good sidetrack, okay. In the sidetrack, you uh, went. <laughs> you said uh, to um, ripen our kind of concentration, we could uh, do several things. One was um, doing um, dramas. And so my request would be, could we uh, get a class on how to make uh, dramas? Or could everybody uh, make one, or everybody that wants to make one? Uh, make Thomas and get some instruction how to do it at home. And sure, very good. I, I, I think we planned that. I, did we? Did that ever happen? No. Oh, it never happened. We 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 were going to do that. Yeah, it just never never happened because I'm really trying to make sure your your days aren't too too full up, mm-hmm. so you get time to practice. But uh, at the end of this section, after after the fifteenth, uh, remind me, and we'll definitely have a class on Torah making. Okay. So when you, uh, this is some more advice for you. This is a very good point. When you uh, find after point 
that uh, the mind won't settle or the kinds of signs that um, you're not necessarily looking for but are pointed out in the instructions or by your teacher. And you're finding the meditation isn't really bearing fruit very much. Give it more than a day. That's a joke, but, but it's, it's me. <laughs> Give it more than a day. Uh, you have to be patient in time. But you, you really get a feeling that, or the teacher, the law, whoever, whoever is the retreat uh, master, uh, or by yourself, there comes times when uh, it's important to take a break and go to another practice that builds merit. Making tormas, hundreds of tormas, making satsas with little clay offerings, uh, painting them beautiful to paint that's a wonderful thing. Uh, building, build a stupa. <laughs> Go build a temple. Um, uh, it could be uh, do um, ten thousand um, refuge and prostration. You know, this kind of thing, vajrasattva. Um, but but also for building merit, making offerings, do, doing something, building, creating, constructing, and don't feel you're bad because it's just normal normal part of the process that there isn't at that point the strength or the ease or the body is sick, you see? Or something's going on, it's just not the right time to, to do that. But you have to give it a chance. And you also have to persevere. So the, the practice texts are very clear on that. Is uh, If it's not going well and you've given it a chance, then there's things you can do. And one of the things is build merit. And other kinds of practices, for instance, return to more of a sadhana practice, uh, more guru yoga, receive blessings, ask for blessings, and do practices that build strength and certain qualities that allow this uh, very formless type of meditation to proceed. Maybe sometimes too difficult. Isn't quite right. Any others? Any other questions? Yes. I have a question about the food. About food, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm really noticing... Um, a desire for protein, especially red meat. Yep. And I'm wondering if that's associated with the practice. Or? Uh, needing and requiring nutritious, uh, solid, good food for, for inner heat or dumo practice is required. That's why the diet is very much like this. Um, having a good appetite uh, depending on who you are, what kind of food you're used to, is a good sign, by the way. It's a good, healthy sign. Having good appetite. Good appetite. You want, you want food. It doesn't mean you eat a lot. See, so you can have a really good appetite for the kinds of food you're used to, but you may not be eating as much. And certainly as you, as you go through this, uh, we've noticed, of course, with the budget <laughs> uh, that the, for food, that the amount of food is dropping off. That's very, that's very, very normal. But the appetite can be that. Just, wow, I love food. This is a good sign, by the way. I love food. I like to eat. I like to put things in my mouth. I like to feel it. So, so um, that, that's, that's conditioning. That's conditioning. Somebody else, it may be they, they have a desire for greens or they have a desire for something. So that's very individual. Very individual. But especially this time of year, you have to look at seasonally too. This time of year, uh, the kind of practice you're doing uh, all adds up to, to um, certain foods that one, uh, one wants. You know, you only need to put a bit of food here in the mouth, and it triggers neural pathways that say you're, 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 you're satisfied. You, you do know. It's not what you put in your belly so much. It's what you put in your mouth. This is very old 
Starts at the breast. Like this. Ah. And that's actually a genetic wired response. If you just go like this. If you if you lie in your if you lie in your back, it's it's really quite hard to see. But if you if you lie in your back, we've done this many times before, if you lie in your back and you're very relaxed and you're in a good state, you just, just take your, your finger, one of your fingers, and just tug on the edge of the mouth, like this, and roll the head, and you'll find you just hold usually your whole body is going, Ah that's the nipple in the mouth. So the mouth is highly sensitive to being relaxed and nurtured. Uh, so food just needs to go sit. So you often see people who are anxious. You know, just that's what you serve, tea. Serve them tea, serve them coffee, serve them something when they come over to visit, right? And you'll reduce their anxiety level. You know the business meeting? Let's all have coffee first. Let's all have tea. Let's have a snack t- a meal together before a business meeting. Why? Lowers the anxiety levels. Everybody can feel, ah, and that's what it does. Good, good food does that. So that's something something you have to work with individually. Everybody's different. Everybody's different. Uh, how much food you eat, when you eat, work it out. Work it out. That's why we've moved to a different way of um, having food here at the Dharma Center. When you're practicing the yogas and you're on your just more and more on your own schedule, then you may eat at 12, 12 o'clock at night. And you have to find out what's good for you. What's so what is the what is the real answer? Answer is very simple. You'll find it when you practice this way. What allows the mind to remain in clarity, in vividness, settled, alert, bright, vivid? That's all. And then the art is maintaining that through the day without too much fiddling and too much altering to keep staying in that lucid zone of non-clinging. And the food becomes a support for that as well. Hmm? Any others? Yes? Um, is there anything you would recommend for de-armoring eyes, for eyes getting fatigued with working with eyes? For sure. Or the, adjusting the gaze or anything? For sure. The, the um, uh, lesson or exploration that Nicolina mm-hmm. showed you is, is, is supreme for that. Okay. Absolutely supreme for that. But don't do it too long, or you could blow your eyes out, literally. I mean, it's literally like... But um, that's fantastic. Well, one for that. And it's a matter of time. Just don't sit initially in too bright a space. Although you're really fortunate right now. This is great light. In places like where I've spent long retreats in, in uh, New Zealand, with a lot of ultraviolet radiation, it, it can be actually tough going on the eyes. Mm-hmm. Really tough going. I'm going, wow. And as I get older and older and do these retreats, I go, whoa, right in the room. And I look at the glasses. These are, you know, tinting glasses. I'm in a room, inside the room, and they're, they're completely dark. Because <laughs> they're, they're, they're sensitive to UV radiation, right? So they're completely dark inside the room. And I'm wondering, why are my eyes strained? There's a good reason for it. A lot of UV, a lot of UV light down there. So here, it's actually very soft right now, so you're very fortunate. So you might want to dim, dim things down a little bit. Um, and also don't have to just, just take time like this. Let the eyes completely relax. And also experiment with your eyes. Some of you find, I've done this many times before, I think you've done this, have you, I don't know if you've all done this with me, but it's very easy. 
if you, you, you can try with your eyes this. If you want to, if you want to um, um, go for brightness and go for uh, clarity, is uh, don't always have to look straight ahead. If you look, to, if you look to the uh, left, at about forty-five degrees, see what that does. Just suddenly look to the left at forty-five degrees. Up and to left. What'd you find? Now stop. Brightens. Brightens. Totally. Totally. Why? Hmm? Change the breathing. Try it again. Now, just quick. Now, you see, and I'm going to teach some science in a minute. Because I'm watching what some of you do, and I've, I hear your reports and so on. Um, well, I'll come to a commentary in a little bit. It's important. But try it again. No more than five seconds. No more three seconds. And I'm going to ask, then I'm going to ask you, why no more than three seconds, no more than five, or no more than ten? Tell me why. What happened? What happened? What happened? Good. What happened? Feel good. Hmm? Feel good. Feel good. What happened? Concentration was easy. Okay. What's the mind like? What's the body like? Rest. This is meditation. You actually experience the meditation for two or three seconds. Why wouldn't you do it for a minute? Becomes habitual. Becomes habitual. What else? Conceptualization. Conceptualization comes in. What else? Eye strain. Eye strain. What else? It should be in every posture. Pardon? It should be in every posture. Yeah. What else, though? What else? There's something else. It's not fresh. The whole thing here is fresh. Must be fresh. So even when you're looking like this for one hour, it has to be fresh. Or you've entered into what? Stupid meditation. As I mean, this is class. I'm, I'm not. Uh, it's not Lama Mark here. It's it's a classic expression. It's called stupid meditation. It's a one hour of stupid meditation. Not it's not going anywhere. Or a year. Or life. It's not going anywhere. It's stupid. There's no freshness in it. No aliveness to it. Now, I want to bring you before I come to this section. I was going to. I'm going to do this thing. It's actually fairly short. I want to bring something up that, that is uh, close to my heart, and I hope it helps you and, and frees you up a lot. Thank you. You'll notice that the emphasis, the, most of the emphasis on devotion, yes? And having experiences. But then you also notice these texts. So, the, so yesterday, in the beginning of the text, it talked about guru devotion, talked about guru union, talked about guru yoga, yes? the Mahamudra guru yoga. And then you come to the section on the pointing out and the exercises and the explorations around the still mind, the thinking mind, mind appearances, and all the steps and exactitude, exactitude of settling the mind, of the stages of settling the mind, exactly what you're looking for, right? And then looking for the nature of mind. So, you know, well, why don't we just have an experience? Right? This is the problem. You see, 
if you read these texts and you study and you practice, you'll see this is extremely scientific. They're actually asking you to observe, sample, learn, and by learning and sampling and seeing what works and what doesn't work, refining the quality by learning and by understanding and by both using your intellect and using direct experience. Got it? So you need that devotional side. You need these surrendering experiences, the tears rolling down, the feeling of absolute thank goodness. These kinds of experiences, yes? Thankfulness, um, awesomeness, uh, bio, uh, the, these kinds of beautiful experiences. But to become professional, to become more than a scattergun or sporadic meditator, you're going to need something else, which is observation, learning. So let's go back to the eyes going up there. Watch this. You're trying to get something, but you're not observing. So if I have a fault, if I may, with so many students, they have experience, but there's no observational quality. There's no learning from that experience and tweaking. Back again. Good morning. I suspect maybe, is that one of you feeding the squirrel? And it's now going... um, or chipmunk, this one. Next, yeah. Going, is this a is this a wonkur? Could I be fed? Are they going to cast out the torma? Hmm, getting ready for it. Just put the torma there. Not even waiting. Just again, I did. So, so to be able to do this work, unless you're one out of ten million that gets it in the Dharma discourse, they hear the words of the Lama, they're there in the present Lama, and it's done. It all clicks in. That's very rare. Knowledge, the knowledge of the experiences there, not just the experience. So when it comes to the third initiation, called the mind initiation, it's technically called the jnana mind initiation, the wisdom knowledge initiation. So as Namjur Rinpoche and, and the Buddha said, put them together like this, yes? Not only do you need enlightenment, but you need to know you're enlightened. So when it comes to pointing out the nature of mind, it's you, you first get an understanding. You get to hear it. You get to hear it. You get to hear it. And it keeps directing you back to, the, to pointing, to the point. But at some point, it must go from, God, I got a good feel for it. I got a good feel for it. I've got some, even some good experiences. To a definitive change in physiology that's so strong, so deep, so pervasive, may even come gradually sometimes, that you notice that what it's saying in there is now part of one's experience. But you may not notice that for months. I've even known people, I remember one was was lovely experience. I was actually in the, was I in the room? I think I was actually in the room for this. Anyway, someone came to see Namjur Rinpoche for a meditation interview. And I just, I don't know what it was. I just happened. didn't leave. It wasn't because I was hanging around. I think Rinpoche wanted me to stay or something like that. 
and came for a meditation review, and someone I know very well, and someone studying with me. And they um, they had an interview uh, with Rinpoche, and the question was something around teaching, teaching classes, teaching Dharma. And they said, you know, I'm not teaching classes. And Rinpoche said something like, why? Why aren't you teaching some Dharma? Well, he said, well, years ago you said that you really shouldn't teach Dharma unless you've experienced the first stage of that. So Tapana, that's your kind of magic, you know, that's that, that should be. And, and, and I agree, actually. <laughs> However, sometimes people start early. And um, it was a lovely thing. She says, well, you already have. The person goes, I have? Yeah. You just don't know it. So this is, this is the thing. There, there's people here, there's actually people in this room who've experienced the nature of mind. They don't know it. They've actually had it again and again and again. I'm always amazed. I'm sitting there listening. Like, That's it. And there's no, there's no knowledge of it. Because it hasn't been recognized. It has, just has not been recognized. Everything around it. It's actually there. It's actually operating. But, it's, but it's, there's no knowledge of it. It's like you can't do anything with it. So the <laughs> ability to observe without a lot of words without a lot of intellectual claptrap, the ability to glean what you uh, mind. You know the word mind? Not mind, M-I-N-D. M-I-N-E, right? Mind. Did. What you mind, what you quarried, what you... Yeah, I'm just being careful for for those who have other other main languages, right? Mind. What you quarried, what you extracted. In that session, even if it's one minute, even if it's like... Like this. What did you extract? Oh, it was a cool experience. That's not good enough. Because there's no learning. There's no moving forward. What was that quality of mind like? What did it feel in the body? What can we do with it? So when you read these practice texts, that's what it's all about. Otherwise, what you do is you go, you're, for years, Waiting. This is not about waiting. This is going for it. This isn't about just waiting, going, it will come to me if I hold my posture in the right way and like this, yeah? and stay calm. You have to see the factors, wake them up, and go for it. Yeah? This is insight meditation. Insight meditation. That was a very, very long time. So let me, let me read a little bit. Now, this is on the loosening section. Before I come to the first stage of Apasana, penetrative insight, and the, um, the practice of that, uh, now for loosening. This is a beautiful, just happened in the, in the clarifying the natural state. It's, it's such a lovely um, few paragraphs. I thought I'd read it this morning. Formerly, you had, focus, uh, you had to focus one pointedly by fashioning, lovely use of words, by fashioning your conscious mind into clear, to being clear and open. You had to fashion into clear and being open. You had to find, find clear and open. Notice clear and open and fashion, shape it, shape it, shape it. While almost repressing coarse and subtle thoughts, this was somewhat uneasy to, to sustain. You see all these stages? These are all the stages. Hard to sustain, hard to sustain. But now, so now, instead, 
is enough to sustain the natural way of simply being undistracted. Now, this is a very important stage where you discover what it's like to be undistracted and don't wait for it to happen, just wait to fall upon it. But you get to know the state of undistraction and because you know it, you can find your way to it very, very easily and discover it's already there. What's always undistracted, if I may? Just just save you a couple of years. What's undistracted all the time? Organism. Hmm? Organism. Yep. But what, what of the organisms always undistracted? Awareness. Awareness. Do you think that your awareness stops when you go to sleep? No. No, clearly not, yes? No. How, how do we know that awareness <laughs> doesn't stop when you go to sleep? You wake up. Wake up when? When we wake up, yeah. but but how sometimes we wake up when there's a fire, some sometimes we wake up when someone walks in the room, sometimes you have a memory, you're asleep, someone says you've been snoring the whole time. Yes, but you did this, 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 and you took the shelf, the book, the book off the shelf, or you did this. How? So the organism is, and if you have good recollection, you would know that you can be asleep and be fully conscious at the same time, except you can't move your muscles and you're snoring, or you're. And someone's shaking you, but you can't move. So the organism is always aware in a continuum, a thread, an unbroken thread, no matter what's happening, even completely distracted. So actually, if to short, shorten this all down, what are you really looking for? You're looking for the nature of awareness, which is mindfulness itself, which is the meditation. Look to no other place than mind. Everything else but that is faulty. You need to find the heart of awareness that is absolutely undistracted every single moment because there is no moment. That's faulty concept too. There never was a moment. There never was a rising and never was a ceasing. The natural way, you write this down. This is what you need to find. The natural way of simply being undistracted. First, you had to muscle it down. All these muscle muscle guys and muscle, muscle men, muscle yogis, muscle yogins. Muscle, 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 muscle. Try to force the pranas around. When in fact, awareness is never undistracted. It is the essence of undistractedness. And it's always there. You can't actually operate as an organism without being undistracted. The ocean's always the ocean, even if there's waves on it. Even if there's a cyclone, and you're in the middle of a cyclone, the ocean's absolutely still and radiant, and, and uh, billions of, of, of kilometers, or billions of, of cubic... Uh, billions? I don't know what it is. 12 billion cubic kilometers. Thank you. 12 billion cubic kilometers of water, of which only a tiny fraction is disturbed. Most of it's just in a beautiful, subtle quality. Occasionally, just like the human consciousness, there are rivers that run deep through the ocean that move very slowly. Giant rivers. Giant, enormous rivers that run through the ocean. Carrying something from somewhere. Interesting, eh? 
but the surface knows not what. Have you noticed that? Bhavanga chitta, the, the ground of being. There are rivers that are being carrying things along, and you don't have a clue what's going on. It's karmic <laughs> formations, karma. And what's the biggest one? Enlightenment mind is the biggest one. Go find it. That's the biggest river of all. Okay, I, I want to get this. When thoughts do occur, be they coarse or subtle, embrace them with mindful presence. Stop, force, stop fighting thoughts. Stop fighting them. What are they? They're awareness. You have to realize that. And that's tough for a lot of people. That's one of the hardest uh, insights to come by is thoughts as the nature of awareness. And it's pointing at it right here in the samatha section. I love this. They, you know, it comes a point when you, you can't distinguish between samatha and vipassana. So you just mix it up all together. You keep putting in these direct instructions, pith instructions, and nobody knows it's a pith instruction. They say, oh, well, it's the section on samatha. Actually, it's the same as comes later. <laughs> when thoughts do occur, be they coarse or subtle, embrace them. Infuse them with mindful presence. By doing so, thoughts are unable to function as thoughts. Thoughts can't function in the spotlight of awareness. If you discover that, big insight, big, big jump of leap of evolution. Uh, when you discover that thoughts uh, cannot operate in the spotlight, the big torch of awareness, they just shrivel. Mm-hmm. They just shrivel. Yeah. They fall. They just fall. Like that. They completely subside and you arrive in a state of calm. So you need to do this over and over and over, maybe weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks until you have certainty. Coming to the teacher and saying, I did it once, is not sufficient in this type of practice. Saying, this has been sustained for weeks, this is good. Then there's some certainty. Or days. And then, and then um, testing it. Once you have embraced a thought with this presence of mind, you need not keep any other aim. So you get a sense of feeling very free. Now, listen, this is in the Samatha section. It's actually exactly what you need to do, period. So you get a sense of feeling very free. That's about the most important statement in the book. Mm-hmm. A sense of feeling very free. But you don't necessarily know what freedom is yet. You feel free. You feel good. Not just good. You feel free. So you have to ask the question, what is free? That's what the Buddha asked in the very beginning. That was his entire aim. What really is freedom? Do you know what freedom is? I feel calm, not freedom. I feel good, not freedom. Mm -hmm. This is the essential question. What is free? What's free really like? Is calm free? No, it comes and goes. You say, well, awareness is free. But do you know anything about awareness? Have you studied awareness? During this type of release and relaxation, remember tightening, loosening, tightening, beautiful practice. Do it for weeks. Do it for a week. If you have a very clear mind, do it for a week. Why? You have extraordinary abilities. During this type of release and relaxation, you appreciate. What's the word appreciate mean? You know. 
the vital point of remaining in a free and easy state of mind. You know the vital point. You know the key point. How to stay in that loose and easy state and not get fooled by thoughts and get, not get fooled by body sensation. Oh, what's that? Oh, what's that? Oh my God, another thought. Oh, it's a feeling. Why? <laughs> Why? The vital point of remaining in a free and easy state of mind. So you're going to have to discover what is an easy state of mind, find out how that happens, when that happens, why that happens, and then gain confidence to keep the ability to go there again, again, again. You have gained progress once this has become simple to sustain. Simple to sustain. You know you can go right back, go right back, get a wave of afflictive emotion and go... Free and easy. Free and easy. Gentle, free and easy. Effortless. However, if you get distracted while lost in the undercurrent of thought, the river channels of thought are carried away mindlessly without noticing what you are thinking of, then your presence of mind is too weak. If your calm feels restless, unsettled, or fidgety, your sense of looseness is inadequate, or you are too intensely mindful, clear up these shortcomings and continue the training. If the attention feels dull, develop a more rigorous, mindful presence. So you have to know how to bring energy to dullness. It's breath. It's simply the balance of pranas. And you can do that by not moving. That's why you practice these yogas, these inner yogas. Just by shifting the channel, just by putting the attention on the breath so the two channels balance in the middle of, 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 of gazing, can brighten the mind. Placing the mind into the hum here can brighten the mind or, or, or here. So you know how to balance the pranas, just subtly. Or the gaze, watch. The, the mind feels a bit foggy. Aha! What did you do? Just change the pranas. That's all. Move space in. Space and light. The prana of space. That's it. It's that simple. That's simple. That's simple. If the attention feels dull, develop a more vigorous mindful presence. Tighten up the mindfulness. If agitated, slightly lessen its strength to deepen the relaxed quality. Go back in the body. Contact the breath. Loosen up. Relax. Feel your bum. Contact your ankles. Feel that you're in a room. Get out of the brain. Because it's so easy in Mahamudra, this type of formless Mahamudra practice, to get in the head. Become a head trip. I'm a big brain, observing, and actually uh, lose the body. You may lose the body, but actually, if you actually feel what that body's like, it's spacious, spacious, open, feels like champagne bubbles running through it, and it's quite an extraordinary experience. If you just go, what's this body like? Whoa. So if you could write this down. I, I, this bit's text is glorious. 
the pith instructions one after the other are, 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 are wonderful because it's exactly right on. By continuing in this way, your attention will remain utterly lucid. It tells you what exactly you're looking for. Utter lucidness, pellucid. Utterly lucid. And all of you experienced, I believe, all of you, everybody in this room, has, have experienced from time to time, from time to time in your life, utterly lucid, yes? When, you know when the light bulb goes off? <laughs> Bing! Wow, is everything clear. Is everything bright and clear. Lucid. Lucid. Even with all the lights off in the room. When the pranas are balanced, the room is illuminated. Not necessarily with light. But the consciousness is illuminated. And there's no tiredness whatsoever. It's like, holy. It's bright. But there's no brightness. Necessarily. It could be inky black. Or it can be full of light. But don't get entranced by full of light and go, now I got it. Inky black can be just as profound as full of light. Can you please repeat the sentence? Sure. By continuing in this way, your attention will remain utterly lucid. Utterly lucid. Keep coming back to utterly lucid. So, so let's do it with the eyes. What did you notice? Three seconds, five seconds. Was it bright? It's bright, isn't it? Without any, without any of the peels. The peels come off. It's just bright. But, but you know what? I've known people who I've done this with in the room of 40, 50 people in like an evening class in Vancouver, New Zealand. And they get it. They go, I go what was it like? No thoughts. Bright. Even. And they go, wow. And that's the end of it. Walk out. You know what they experienced? The calm mind. And they can't recognize it. It's not something. eh? Can't recognize it. So if you can do that for three seconds, why can't you do it for ten seconds? Why can't you do it for a minute? Why can't you do it for an hour? Of course you can. But you see, the art is to stay lucid. Not... Whoa. Yeah, just, just in a dull state. A dull state. Eventually it just turns dull. So when it turns dull, what do you do? Refresh. So this is why in the Mahamudra tradition, the short sessions are better than long sessions. Why? Because they're looking for something. They're saying lucidity is much more important than, than a dull state of calm. Because a dull state of calm doesn't lead to liberation. Lucidity gives you the opportunity to recognize the mind. Because it's closer than... Dull. Dull, but feels good. Dull, but soft, yes? Dull, but soft. So, and not to, not to beat up on forest deer, but the eyes of a forest deer are not the, they're the, they're the basis for insight, but it's not, you know, not the look of insight. Look of insight's more of an eagle. You need the sharpness. However, don't, don't think that a forest deer isn't sharp especially if they butt, butt you. Samatha has taken birth when perceptions of sights, sounds, and so forth are experienced as vivid and serene 
lucid and unbound. Remember the training in the senses? Hmm? The five senses, training the senses, going from one sense to another, spending a day or two or three days in each sense, until each sense is vitally clear and crisp. People say, oh, I've got to get out of my senses. No, you want to get in your senses. Fully in the senses. So it feels like a dewa quality. Dewa quality. Radiant and subtle. Radiant and subtle. So I saw it yells! You go, wow. <laughs> Does that feel good? When someone bangs a pot, bam! You go, you don't just go, ah! you just, right through you. Just a lovely, the sound, just the, the, the movement of, of mind. Lucid and unbound, all the senses, serene, lucid, unbound. So even if one of the various meditation moods, bliss, clarity, non-distinction, or stupid meditation, uh, do not get caught up in it, instead train for a while in the state that is both lucid and thought-free. There you go. Thought-free, thought-free freedom, thought-free lucid, thought-free lucid, not thought-free dull, not thought-free no go anywhere, but sharp, really Sharp, crisp, sharp, crisp, sharp, crisp. That's the basis. Unless you get a firm footing in this, your meditation training will become sporadic. Which means, that was a good meditation. Then a week later, oh, that was a good meditation. Or two days later, that was a good meditation. And it's completely sporadic. Because you'll never get the training, you'll never get establishment of an instrument. It's like, like a piano. How would you like, who plays piano here? Anybody? Okay, so you have a piano. And um, in the morning, it's tuned. But by the afternoon, it's completely untuned. And you go, oh well. And the next day, somewhere around lunchtime, it's tuned. But you're hungry, so you went for lunch. What would that be like? You know that's mostly what the experience is for most meditators practicing, yes? It's completely unprofessional. It's like amateur night. There's no stability. And we're not talking about stability of a certain type of experience, are we? We're talking about the stability of carefree openness, which is a well-tuned piano to allow investigation. When you go to the, to the symphony hall, do you expect the piano to be tuned properly? Mm-hmm. Yes. Because it's professional, right? Now, what would happen if all of you were being paid? No, I, I was put it this way. Let's say all of you are working here in a job and you had a month to get into a carefree state or you're fired. <laughs> or you get demoted. Wouldn't that be it? I bet you'd work differently, wouldn't you? Maybe we should institute a, a change. Yeah? You got one month and we'll put you on salary. Do you have enough money, Laurel? Yeah, okay, put them on. I'd say about $100,000 each, okay? About $100,000 each. That's about, what, $2.4 million um, payroll. And, and if it's not met, okay, we lower it down to... No, just lower it down. First, after a month, I would say lower it down to the poverty level, say $16,000 a year or something like that. Okay, see how that is. Some sort of incentive program. But if you do succeed then there is um, employee sharing in the profits. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm joking. But, but, but something, you see. 
There's no incentive. It's like, I think I'll take the rest of my lifetime. <laughs> there is incentive when you see how suffering it is, eh? How extraordinarily suffering beings are and how, how and a good insight, by the way, is tasting fully how hellish the mind can be and how devious it can be and how full of greed, hatred, illusion, pride, and jealousy it can be and you want out. Then you'll be, that's a good incentive program. Unless you get a firm footing in this, your meditation training will become sporadic. Gain a steadfast foothold. It's got a little lovely icon on the bottom. I like these little, what are these called? Dingbats? Yeah. Lovely little dingbat on the bottom that just fits perfectly with the font. So the kinds of things I, that's right. I like that. I like those little dingbats. Not, there's no like big heading section change, just a little doop, which of course isn't in the text, but in the Tatan text. At the beginning, you gain a slight degree of thought-free calm amidst the turbulence of many gross and self-hots. Anybody have that? At the beginning, you gain a slight degree of thought-free calm amidst the turbulence of many gross and self-hots. Have you ever had that? Yes. This is the first stage of samatha, similar to a mountain stream rolling through a gorge. So I've explained that already. All the way through to the uh, the mother ocean meeting its river child, or the river child emptying out into the great ocean. Even though this type of samatha does not suffice as the real substance of Mahamudra training, it is extremely important to have this as the basis for the training. Since it is mental stability that creates boundless virtuous karma, you should accomplish a flawless and steady state of samatha. So if you want to, if you want to remain as a sporadic meditator, and not be able to really gain um, uh, continuum good insight, penetrative insight, Mahamudra Zagchan, then, then stay where you are. But if you want to gain a profound sense of stability in your life that has genuine signs and doesn't come and go, then you'll need stability. It's just way too sporadic. Hmm? Does it make sense? Yeah. Let the text say it. I'm saying it. <laughs> been there for a long time. So the energy yoga practice of Tantra, inner yogas, whether it's through Anapanasati, other different methods, mind you, Tantra's different, because it's imbuing you with uh, compassion and training you in the Bodhisattva levels. That energy yoga is fundamental for this. In the balance of the five pranas, you have to have this to be able to do this. Otherwise, the mind cannot be muscled down with your thoughts and your concepts. Now I'm going to get calm. Oh, two seconds, three seconds, five seconds, and then boop, out of it. Wow, that was cool. I experienced mindfulness. Well, where's the mindfulness now? And then you get these types that go, yeah, they have a, usually have a cane. Here's a cane. <laughs> In 1972, I experienced mindfulness. Uh, 1953, I was on a retreat, you know, and uh, so-and-so in the Himalayas, and I had this profound experience of mindfulness. And the teacher told me I was at such and such a stage. As your face falls into the soup or something, you know, knock over a bowl, you know, oh, excuse me. Or the cane goes, poof. 
into the student, the young student, you know, the young student is listening there at the Dharma Center. Wow, and the cane goes, yes, and then in 1963, I had this incredible experience of mindfulness. Wow. Just see it. Yeah? You think I'm joking? No. No. I'm not joking. I'm joking. Do you think this sort of thing happens? Yes. How about now? What's, what, what, what's, what's, the, what's it like now? What's it like now? I had this experience. What'd you do with it? I left it behind. I kept talking to my friends about it. <laughs> and entertaining the young Dharma students. Mm-hmm. Okay, now, yeah. turning to the next section. Yes? I'm just wondering if you would re- re-clarify the... Um, you, cannot, you cannot re-clarify that which is clear. Well, it's not clear. <laughs> um, going over the scientific approach to what you've experienced, what you're aware of, what you've learned, say, in doing a, a yoga. Sure. If a, if a chipmunk runs across the road, you watch the chipmunk, right? And you go, wow, isn't that cool? What's the scientific approach? Why did the chipmunk do it? And why did it do it that way? Why is a chipmunk running across in that direction. Hmm. What does it mean? It's because Simon is sitting out in front of the bathhouse feeding the chipmunk. And the chipmunk is running back and forth and climbing up into Simon's lap. It's okay, we've got cameras all over the place. Just don't get enough time to review them all. So it's, 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 uh, it's the ability to go, why? And how did that happen? And not because it happened because of childhood stuff or womb stuff or because it's Buddha nature or it must be the Dharma kind. Who cares? It's about, where is that? What, what shaped that? Ah, it felt like that beforehand. The body was, was in that. Do you see? That's what it feels like to be in that zone, and it leads to that. Let's see if we can do that again. Let's see if we can re- reproducibility. Reproducibility, not one-offs. Reproducibility. Reproduce. How does it get like that? How does it go that way? How does it, why does the river flow that way and not that way? Once one has a feel for that, one can enter into it again and again and again. You go, aha. Ah, uh, I get the, I get, I get the, I get the feel for it. This is more scientific. And in asking the question of uh, that penetrating into it, the balance between letting the question be and thinking and trying to. And this is what gets asked me all the time. It's, it's very, very easy. I, I keep saying it. Ask the question and drop it, and then easily pick up the results, but don't overthink it. And please watch for. Um, voices giving you statements. Uh, no, they do. People get this. Uh, so you ask the question, and the voice comes out. It's the nature of mind, or it's the Dharmakaya, or oh, you're right on. This is the golf commentator. It's called chinsinyana. Technically called chinsinyana. It's chinsi knowledge. Beware of voices, please. Even if it's a Guru Rinpoche's voice, it can be your tricky mind. 
right? Or the Lama's voice. I mean this. It must be direct observation, which means, like a lab work, don't want to know what you hypothesize or what your colleagues said it might be. You want to know whether you can do it again and again and again, and it's right on. This, this is it. So I want to know why that squirrel is exhibiting that behavior in the parking lot. And we have a hypothesis. And the hypothesis is that it's coming from the direction of a certain person sitting out in front of the bathhouse, right? And now we need to go and see if we can reproduce that when a certain person sitting outside the bathhouse and whether that chipmunk will go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And that will give us some evidence that it's reproducible. It's, it's okay. Is it? By the way, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. It's lovely. lovely. Isn't it wonderful? To, whether you're feeding the chipmunks or not, I have no idea. It doesn't matter. I'm just using that as an example. But why that? Why, why did that beautiful, serene, carefree state happen this afternoon or at 2 o'clock or at in the morning, why does it only occur then? What was it? Why did it creep up then? This, this, is, this is the observational mind. And by doing that, you develop reproducibility. And then, for instance, what is it about freedom? What, what's the hallmark of freedom? So to me, it's the kinds of questions you ask. This manual, really, these manuals, and the, the role of the Lama is to ask the important questions, not the, pit, not, the, not the petty questions. And keep the student asking the essential questions, not the petty stuff. You know petty? The little stuff. The little tiny stuff. The stuff that doesn't matter. Hmm? And the language is very important. You know I'm a stickler for language that way. And so is Namjur Rinpoche. Why? Because language has so much to do with everything here. Language. The language that's used for description reflects the mind. So if you say, well, it was clearly the Dharmakaya, it's not the word, it's the feel behind it, the feel behind it, the feel of the mind behind it. Does that help a bit? Yes, thank you. So then don't ask too many questions either. Don't fill yourself with so many questions that uh, it's busy. But use the practice text or the instructions of the Lama and get a few and go, I'm going to look for lucidity. When does lucidity occur? What time of day? When does it brighten? How? What are the eyes like? Ah, there it was. But you see, then people don't remember how it happened. But if you're very sensitive and you go, actually, straighten the body does make a difference. (laughs) Placing the hands in certain postures makes a difference. An attitude you know, I was actually happy before I meditated. That has a lot to do with it. My belly wasn't full and screaming because it was stuffed up. That has a lot to do with it. The room, the people in the room are in good, good state. Oh, that, So all these factors, and when it's reproducible, you go, why don't I do this? Deeper and deeper and deeper. So observation. But observation and learning. Observation and testing but not overthinking and not getting funny voices coming to you and going, aha, this is the Dharmakaya. Watch for those. Or, or, or little voices going, commentator voices. They can be very, very exquisite commentator voices, but beware for those. They're usually not insight. Insight's direct. It's just the penny falls. The expression in English. The penny falls. Ding! The Swiss franc falls. 
the lira fall, well, sometimes the lira really falls. <laughs> I'd be careful. I'd be careful. Sometimes, ah, the Greek drachma falls. No. That's why they got rid of the Greek, the Greek drachma. The, the euro falls. Yeah. Yeah. The, penny dro- the penny or the euro dropping? Let's say the euro. The euro is actually much bigger. I like, I like the euro, in fact. You want to have more euros than pennies. A bit of advice, financial advice. Have more euros than pennies. When the euro drops, which is a much bigger insight, when the euro, financially it's a much bigger insight. When the euro drops, it's, it's a state of wonder. It's a state of, of knowing. It's a state of non-conceptual knowing. You can't even, really maybe not even know what happened for a while. It's just, oh my God. And you know it's genuine. But you're not, not necessarily even sure. It might take, it might take weeks, days, months, even years to really know the full extent of, of, the, penny dro- of the euro dropping. The penny dropping, it takes much shorter. It can be a day. <laughs> okay, let's move on to establishing the first, first of the stages of penetrative apasana, penetrative insight. Establishing the identity of mind, the basis. The basis, the basis, the, the basis for all of this. So establishing, an establishing the identity. Identity? Is that is that an English word understood? Identity? No. This next pith instruction is so vital, so secret, so important. <laughs> Do not miss it. <laughs> this person runs out of the room. Do not miss it. <laughs> For the first point, assume the same body posture as before. Whatever body posture allows for settling, calm, brilliance, lucidity. In addition, gaze straight ahead without blinking or shifting. Without blinking or shifting. So it takes time to... uh, Did I tell you? I think I've told the story. It's kind of fun. Um, In my... I think it was 40... Turned 40. And... um, Beth, uh, partner at the time, she noticed that very often I'd be reading like this. <laughs> I was in the Arctic. And then I'd be reading, and the, there was no glasses, and the book would be like this. <laughs> and I, I really couldn't read for more than about five minutes. Really, I couldn't. But she'd say, do you, do you need glasses? No, 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 I don't need glasses. Not glasses. <laughs> literally, literally. Oh, man. And... Uh, so I went, went to a, uh, an eye doctor that came to a Calloway, to Frobisher Bay, um, once a month. And he was examining my eyes. And he's looking, he goes, hey, your eyes are actually just a slight astigmatism, I think, but they're, they're very good. No, it's actually better than 2020. And then he says, just look at me again. You don't blink. Why don't you blink? I said, I don't blink? He says, no, you don't blink at all. It'd be good if you blinked. <laughs> blink. <laughs> I remember saying, blink. Just like, he's like in wonder, right? Blink. Okay. No, no, blink. <laughs> so he says, if you blinked, you, your eyes might be a little, um, you might feel better. Your eyes. <laughs> it's like so many years, right? <laughs> 
blink. He said, you don't blink. And to tell you that an encounter, someone doesn't blink. Gaze straight ahead without blinking or shifting. Occasionally blinking is okay. You need to refresh the eyes. But there's a reason. This is to do with the, the motions in the eyes. The eyes moving all over the place. You want to settle down the motion in the eyes. The motion in the eyes have to do with the motion internally in your energies. Yeah? This is also why we use the eyes sometimes in different directions. Free up the eyes. And then no shifting. Don't shift the body around. See if you can keep relaxing it, relaxing it, relaxing it. Keep your attention vividly present in the thought-free and lucid state of samatha. Yeah. So you're now trained in that, just keep it, keep it in that zone. I like the word zone. Keep it, it does feel like a zone, a certain zone. During the state, look directly into this attentive mind. There, it just says it. Look into the attentive mind. The, so, so this thought-free state is totally attentive. It's called love, just to let you know. Another word for it, you're, you're in love. You're in love with awareness. You're in love. I tell you, here's my, my test for people. 16, 10, 16 hours uh, looking at a white wall and totally in love with the still, still calm, clear mind of freedom is a good test for someone that has stability. I mean that. Because you're totally, utterly interested in the, ra- in the inner radiance of the mind. The, the glow of awareness uh, and its freedom is extraordinary. No other, no other place. I mean, it's just extraordinary. So. It's love. You've actually, you're now in love with the quality of attention, the attentive mind. Not the concentrated, the attentive mind. Totally, utterly, naturally attentive to see what shape, color, etc. it has. So look directly into this attentive mind to see what shape, color, etc. it has. In which location does it remain and what supports it? What kind of findable identity and appearance does it have? Gradually examine and investigate these points. Now, you don't do it by thinking your way through and, and keep reading the text. You pose a question before you meditate, I want to know if it has a shape. What this, this experience of attentiveness. Now, take the word mind in. This experience of attentiveness, this experience of lucid, clear, unobstructive intelligence, of, 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 of attention. It is intelligent. Does it have a shape? Does it have a form? Does it have a color? Does it have a location? Now, the problem is some of you study too much. And it's very difficult now. Because you'll come back, because you've read and you've studied, you've heard teachers, you go, it has no location. It has no form. And you've read all this, and you go, so now we have to find new ways. <laughs> Giant squirt guns, all kinds of things. <laughs> because too much knowledge, you know, too much knowledge, very, very difficult. Oh, yes, well, the mind is infinite and expands. Goodbye. Go away. Okay. What supports it? What supports this attention? Where did the attention come from? Where does it go? How is it that the mind is fully attentive? And that attention doesn't come or go. Or does it come and go? Does attention come or go? Does calm come and go? 
does this lucidity arise and pass away? In other words, does it have a shape that is round, square, or the like? Now you see, this is this was written in the um, 16th century. There aren't many texts around. And these teachings were secret, mostly secret. There aren't public discourses on Mahamudra and Zogchen. So you're, you're now going to the teacher fresh. He's saying, so is it round? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, let me go, go find out. Go, go away for another month and tell, let me know what shape it is. Okay? But for you, it's going... Uh, I think that's... Let me look at the index. Shape of mind. Shape of mind? Right. No shape. And you come back to the teacher after, after a couple hours. I, no shape. I looked at the mind. I saw no shape. So we have to use different methods. These instruction manuals or teaching... This is actually a teaching manual. This is a manual for teaching. Uh, both. It's actually both. It's both. It goes back and forth between... Uh, a manual for those that are learning and a manual for those that are experienced and how to um, trick them so they can get a proper answer. But this is 16th century. So today it's a little more, <clears throat> requires more sometimes things. Does it have a shape like the earth, rocks, mountains, scrubs, trees, and the like? And you'll laugh. You go, oh, wow. but not for many, not for some. Does it have a shape that looks like a human being, an animal, or what? I've known people say that. Yep. My mind is like this. My mind is like that. My mind came to me like a bear. My mind is... Examine each instance until you reach a a definite conclusion. Now, this conclusion, what they mean by conclusion, may not be a definitive insight experience, but this is science gathering data. You have enough data after a week, a month, 10 years. No, <laughs> you have enough data to be very confident that the mind is round or very confident that the mind is a triangle or the mind is the, is the uh, shape of the mandala of Dorji Palma. Now you're absolutely certain, right? You've got enough data. Do you, do you, do you follow? And that's what I mean by a scientific method. I'm not saying applying uh, EEG equipment but, uh, or instrumentation, but self-instrumentation going, I've got the data. I've got some certainty. I've done this. Okay? Now, that's not the same as non-conceptual insight, but it can certainly lead to non-conceptual insight. It's slight bit of analysis that it can be useful. If it's done too much, not very useful. But it certainly leads to understanding and knowledge. In the same way, examine whether the mind lives in external things of the world or beings or in your body of karmic ripening. So is the mind, uh, is this vivid awareness, this vivid attentiveness, does it live in your body? Does it live? Does it die? Is it live on the moon? Is it, does it live in Shalan? And whenever I uh, do things it gets transmitted to me over a distance from Shalan. I know some people, yes. It's some, somebody's doing it to me. Something's, okay. If it does live in this body, does it remain in a particular location? Is it in the head? Is it in the heart? Is it in the stomach? Is it belly? Is it your knees? Is it your feet? Does it, is it from the crown of the head to the soles of your feet? Or, or does it 
remain in a pervasive way? Is it, is it pervasive all through the body? Or does it exist outside the body? If it remains in a pervasive way, does it dwell in a way that has an inside and an outside? Is there an outside mind and an inside mind? Am I inside it? Is my attention inside it? Is my attention outside it? Am I looking at the mind? Or is the mind looking at me? Does it remain in a way that is diffuse? Is the mind feel diffuse like it's everywhere? If diffuse, examine how your mind moves and so forth when becoming occupied by outer objects and things. So when you're occupied by outer objects, is that the same feeling? When you have your eyes closed and it feels like the inner, is that the same type of attention? Does this make sense? Is that the same type of thing? So close your eyes and go, is this the same mind? Open the eyes, is that the same mind? Turn your eyes up like this. Is that the same mind? Like this, is that the same mind? Cooking food, is that the same mind? Talking to someone, is that the same mind? Going to class, a Dharma class, is that the same mind? Or do you differentiate meditation, mind, meditating, or going to a class? Or is there a special mind that happens during a wonkur that's different than when you're meditating? Likewise, is your mind an entity that can be identified as empty or as aware? Regarding the empty quality, does that mean being empty like nothingness or empty like space? So then you say, but my mind feels it's, it's just like space. So my mind is space. I've had people do that. My mind is space. Oh, just like space. Or it's empty of everything. It's, it's empty. It doesn't have anything. It's, not a, it's emptied out. Is the lucidity aware quality... Remember, so it's, going, it's saying it again and again. It's, it's actually pointing exactly to it. Is the lucidity, lucidly aware quality... You should actually write that down. Lucidly aware quality. Lucidly aware. If it's not lucidly aware, then what are you looking at? Dully aware. Quietly dull. Sleepy dull. So on. Is the lucidly aware quality radiant like the light of the sun and moon or like the flame of a butter lamp? Examine what this lucidity is like. See? Examine it. How do you examine it? Not by talking all the way through. Go look. Like this. That's how you examine things, isn't that right? When you examine a carnation, if they call that carnation, some name, do you not normally go like this and really look at it? Instead of like... That's not the attitude of investigation, is it? <laughs> what is investigation? Love. It's curiosity. Whoa. That's how things are learned. Not by... <laughs> Unfocused, dull. Wow. Go look. You look. You look. You look. Again and again and again.
So, as, as Namjur Rinpoche often says, said, as a point of the body, tilt the body slightly forward. Go forward in the, in the attitude of insight meditation, move it forward a centimeter or a few millimeters. So it's, it's engaged. As opposed to samatha, which is relaxed and carefree, insight is carefree, relaxed, but slightly bent. It's, you know, if you have a, uh, a leaf, uh, a, a blade of grass, instead of being up like this, it's like this. Look with intensity. The blade of Manjusri's sword. The tip of Vajragini's Katari knife. It's sharp. These are all symbols reminding you of what that quality is like. The sharp edge of the Katari knife. Manjusri's sword. Yamantaka's spike. (laughs) Or his cudgel. Examine what this lucidity is like. Investigate this until it is settled with complete and conclusive certainty. Complete and conclusive certainty. What is this experience of attentive, lucid wakefulness? Natural, free wakefulness. What is this? What is this? What is this? What is this? If you hold on to, uh, to hearsay, things you've heard, and theory, and neglect investigating, you will not feel it. It is conclusively decided. So examine this to the very depth. Oh, you know, I told, her, I told Rinpoche when I, I studied, I had this, and I, I put it on his table, and I said, Sir, he, had, he hadn't seen this book before. It just had come out maybe a couple of years ago. This is glory. This is a great job. He took it into his room, and but never got a chance to actually uh, teach from it. I was hoping that he would. I asked him to teach from it. I said, please, please, you know. And uh, he, he passed away too quickly. But this, these, these words are so sparse, and yet uh, every word is right on. Every word tells you exactly what you must do. If you hold on to hearsay and theory and neglect investigating, neglect investigating, Right? Investigating. Interest. What is this? Look it up and down. Stand on your head. Meditate on the edge of a banister. Go up in a tree and meditate. You know? Meditate lying on the ice. I don't care. Just go. Go and try different things. You will not feel it is conclusively decided. So examine this to the very depth. Go deep. Go really deep. And does that mean a day? I got it. I love that. I got it. Why do people come to me? I got it. How long have you been in? I did it. And actually, it's okay if you get it, but then I want to know if there's certainty. Certainty may be by yourself for three weeks until you go, okay. You can go to the teacher and go, and they actually often look at you and go, okay, you got it. (laughs) You can tell. You don't even need to open your mouth. But sometimes just to make sure. Just to make sure we want you to speak. You don't have it. Go away. 
until it is conclusively decided. So examine this to the very depth. If an incorrect understanding is held, counter-arguments should be applied and the investigation continued. That's for the teacher, Lama. Counter-arguments. You're an idiot. <laughs> I am not! Yes, you are. You're complete, utter full. I am not! So where is the calm, lucid mind? Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. We're supposed to be talking about Emptiness. We just did. We just emptied you into pride. It is easy to resolve that this conscious mind does not consist of any shape, color, location, support, or material substance. Can you find the mind as a material substance? Have you found it? You've been conditioned its brain, right? Point to your brain right now. Point to your brain. Come on, you can all do it. Have you ever seen your brain? Who's seen their brain? How? Did. Hmm? Did. Oh, a dead brain, but that's not your brain. No. Okay. So, who has seen their own brain? Your eyeballs. But do you ever see your eyeballs without a mirror? <laughs> <laughs> ah! or, or some of the, the well, not, but of course this is the brain anyways so have you seen your brain but you're told so often where's your brain and then you say I guess I saw it in an in a MRI scan that's an MRI scan it's not your brain right that's, a, that's an interpretation of the brain I've seen my mind. What's been seen? What is it? What is it? So, so this is very important. To the depth. To the depth. To the depth. So you have to really... I, I always say this, and I, I really mean this. If you really want a profoundly um, deep insight, empty out everything you ever learned. Get rid of the word emptiness. Get rid of the word shunita. Get rid of the word dharmakai. Get rid of it all. Get into a state of unfabricated childlike wonder where you don't know anything. You just don't know anything. You're just there investigating. You're set loose. You know, the best thing for some of you would be set loose in a biochemistry lab or a chemistry lab. And you're treated like a graduate student and you don't know anything. That's what it's like. You don't know what these jars are for. You don't know what these instruments are for. You don't even know how to run anything. They say, yeah, would you go run, an M- would you go run a, um, a PCR? PCR. Yeah, run a PCR. So then you have to ask, could you tell me what a PCR is? Right? Or go run a, go, just go run a mass spec, will you? What's a mass spec? Oh, it's this. Could you tell me what the basis of a mass spec. See? All the way back. All the way back. Stripping it bare. You know nothing. You know nothing. You're there to observe. You're there to learn. Everything you learned before doesn't matter now. You're a baby. You're an infant. That's the best attitude. And you don't have no idea what's coming next. You do that, you're in a good state for insight. Penetrative insight meditation. Don't have a clue. <laughs> You don't have even a dicky bird. I like that expression. <laughs>
What is a dicky bird? Yeah, yeah, dicky bird. Uh, might have to look up the origin of that in the Oxford English Dictionary, but uh, basically, you don't have a clue. Not a clue. However, if you take it to be a definable entity that is aware and empty and you remain quietly in that state, you are still unresolved since that is the meditative mood of stillness. So if you're describing a meditation mood, it's still not it. It's simply the glow of the mind. It's simply what the mind appears as. All the different moods. That's like saying, I'm happy today, I'm sad today. I'm up, I'm down. It's all changeable. Therefore, make mandala offerings, supplicate with deep devotion, and investigate each instance of how it is aware, how it is empty, and what its real mode is. Its real mode, its real essence, its real nature. What is its real nature? Through this, you may find the mind is not comprised of a concrete or material substance, and therefore has no shape or color no dwelling place or support. Remember this text? 16th century. This kind of teaching would knock the socks off someone. Absolutely. What? Let me tell you a very brief story. I've been telling enough stories. Someone told me that. So let me tell you a story. But uh, it actually happened um, just outside of here. But uh, many years ago, a, a Tibetan um, who was a, a, a monk um, in uh, Rumtak Monastery, um, who is no longer, but so on, he was up here giving workshops. And um, don't exactly remember the, the conversation, except it went something like this. He grew up, grew up as a Bhutanese. And the, in the Bhutanese world, in the Tibetan world, all these tankas that you see are actually gods. In other, words, in other words, how you grow up in that culture is that all the Adams are actually living gods out there. They're, 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 and, and they're to be worshipped, right? You do supplication, worship, you walk in the temple, there's these wrathful gods, and, and all this, and even the Dalai Lama is a god, right? Gods, gods, gods. These are, these are creatures that you actually have to pay respects to and, and maintain good relationships with, yes? Okay. So here's this monk who's sitting in Rumpak, and he's the, the Torma master. Yeah, they picked him. You're going to be the Torma master. And on a regular basis, he receives instruction from Trangu Rinpoche and Karampa and different teachers. And he told me that one day, Trangu Rinpoche walked in, they're all sitting there ready for their class or their instructions. And Trangu Rinpoche sat there, looked around. Is that Trangu Rinpoche? Looked around and said, you see all these, these beings and all the Adams, all this? Yes, it's all your mind. And he said to me, oh my God, you wouldn't believe what that was like Mm -hmm. to hear such a momentous uh, statement. It's all your mind. They exist in your mind. It was like mind-blowing for him. Absolutely Mm mind-blowing. For you? No. Absolutely not. So a lot of this is, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. It's no wonderment. 
You've heard it all. You've heard, you know, discourses on neurophysiology and psychology and cognitive theory and, and uh, chitta-matra and, you know, all this. Through this, you may find that mind is not comprised of a concrete or material substance and therefore has no shape or color, no dwelling place or support. So when you hear that for the first time, it's shocking. And it could land you right into the experience. Understand that it is an aware emptiness that defies any description of being such and such. Any description that's conceptual at all will fail. It is inexpressible and yet it can be experienced. It's inexpressible and yet it can be experienced. When that is the case, the Lama should try to present confusing statements. If the meditator's understanding is merely theory or hearsay, it will be inconsistent and will not withstand scrutiny. Yelling, screaming, the usual. Or gentle words like, but you see, it's more like a refrigerator. No, it's not. Yes, it's exactly like a, it looks. The mind looks just like a refrigerator. And if you actually wanted to have deeper understanding, you go to the refrigerator and bring the llama a Coca-Cola. <laughs> it will not withstand scrutiny. If it is personal experience, it will converge on one point, even when he is unable to articulate with traditional words. You see? Even if you can't find words, you can't find the traditional jargon or anything else, eventually it will uh, converge. When this happens, the meditator has reached personal experience. Even so, now this is very important uh, to, to listen to the subtlety of this. Even so, there are eloquent and articulate meditators who lack personal experience. There are also experienced and tongue-tied meditators who are unable to explain they actually have genuine experience. They can't explain it. They just can't put their finger on it. The Lama should therefore let them thoroughly investigate and resolve this fully through real experience. While in the previous state of lucid and thought-free samatha, as before, look directly into your conscious mind. It is a wakefulness for which no words suffice. It is not definable. It is not a definable entity, but at the same time, it is a self-knowing, aware emptiness that is clear, lucid, and awake. Sustain this without distraction. Thus is the first, the first, uh, um, if you want, the first great insight. Is what is this still, wakeful, thought-free awareness? What is it? As opposed to, I had it, I did it, I got it. Last year I had it. Last week I had it. No, what is it right now? What is it right now? Can you feel it? Can you experience it? What are its characteristics? What, so you're, you're gathering data, right? And the way the human consciousness, let's say the brain for the moment, works, is brains gather data. They're, they're giant data sponges all the time. Whether you like it or not, they gather data. Huge amounts of data. That's what you want to do. Look again, look again, look again. If you have genuine interest and want to know, it's gathering data whether you like it or not. You know that. Children do this. Human, 
And adults do this. They gather data all the time. So what are you doing? You're gathering heaps of data, like a good scientist. Heaps and heaps and heaps and heaps of data. And what is the organism going to be doing with all that data? Figuring it out. Figuring it out. But you don't want an intellectual discourse. You're not presenting Lama with a 500-page treatise of words. You're distilling down, distilling down, distilling down, like making syrup, like making maple syrup. Boiling, 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 boiling through experience and distilling and distilling and distilling until there really is non-conceptual, physiological uh, confidence. It runs through your bones. It must run through your bones. And it's not broken by getting off the mat and going to the refrigerator. It's not broken when you make a cup of tea. It's not broken when you go to the toilet and go, oh, that's different. Now my mind is different. It's not broken when you talk to the llama and go, oh, uh, gosh, it's all gone. That's not stability. It's there. It's just there. And it manifests. It manifests. And it grows. It grows in confidence. It grows in confidence. Go back. Go back for another three months. Go, go, go away for another three months. Not because you're a bad person, but because, my God, could you imagine? Now you've got some certainty. This is what people don't get. I'll say the West, maybe the East too. But they don't get is you're not a bad person. The Lama sends you away for three months. They go, go get more certainty. It's awesome. Three more months of certainty of all day long. It grows and it grows. Where does it grow? It grows through your dendritic trees. Do you know the expression? All the, all the neural connections start to grow that way because you've got so much learning and observation. And it grows. Where it's going to grow? It's going to grow into your hippocampus. It's going to grow into your amygdala. It's going to grow all through your brain, all through your body. Eventually, you're going to feel that way. You're going to exhibit this. It's going to come out your voice. The Lama might even say, oh, forget it. Don't even want to hear anything. Go make a cup of tea. Why? Don't need to explain a thing. Just exhibit it. Go exhibit it. Go show it. Go show it to the world. Come on, get on. Go, Go show it to the world. Don't need to hear it. Don't need to see it. Don't need to hear anything about it. Others? Please, tell me all about it. (laughs) Go ahead. All different. All different. It's about about, uh, a little different than maybe written in the text, but maybe the same thing. Uh, To me, it's about physiological certainty. You know what I mean? By physical, physiological certainty, not about an intellectual certainty. It must be. It must be permeate. You must. You must stink of it. Do you know what I mean? You must stink of it. It must uh, be something that oozes out your uh, eyeballs, drips out of your nose, and comes out your ears. I, I, I really mean that. It, you can actually feel it. Bing walks in the room, or you can feel it. Go. Whoa! Good. It's good. It's good. Certainty. 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 Why? You collect a lot of data. It's like in a scientific uh, conference, you're asked to stand up and present your results. And you've got 200 scientists in the room. Some of them aren't nice people much. 
and they're looking for any little hole they can find because their reputation and their name is at stake and they're full of pride and jealousy and all kinds of other nasty emotional states. Yeah? You better be certain. You better be very, very certain about your work and have collected a lot of data and know, know it inside out and backwards. Be able to stand up there when someone says, I don't like the way you did your such and such. I don't believe that you could get that result. And calmly you go, we did. And here's why. And if you don't believe me, you go, you go do it. This is what we did. And that kind of certainty, this is what we did. And by the way, we ran it 10 times. Or we ran it 15 times. We ran it 30 times. In physics, we ran it a million times. <laughs> In physics. We ran it a million times, and it's with absolute certainty, to 99.9999%. In the soft sciences, you know, biological and especially medical sciences, we ran it five times. <laughs> We're absolutely certain. Right? Four, four, four people, and they're all university students. Therefore, all human beings are like this. Great data. 50% of all um, biomedical research, over 50%, cannot be reproduced. 50% because of that. Not because of dishonesty, but because of low sample sizes, uh, variability in experiments. Uh, all kinds of problems, but, but over 50% of all psychology, um, biomedical research. So when you read it, please, please, please keep your eyes open. That's over 50%, way over 50%. Sometimes in some studies, 90% of all work cannot be replicated, never gets actually replicated, cannot be done, gets thrown out. So your job is to be able to have unshakable confidence. But open to what? To vast new discoveries. So unshakable, but completely open to new range of discoveries and not fixed. I know what the mind is. I've discovered mind. I've discovered the Mahamudra. And that's it. Maybe with full Buddha nature it's possible. But open to being um, expanded. Open to the view being even uh, further expanded. Uh, open to the possibility of learning about the compassionate uh, nature of that or what one could do with that. What, what, what are the implications, you see? Good. That's, that's what I wanted to bring you this morning. So uh, for the next uh, three days... Uh, today, it's uh, Saturday, Sunday. I'll come back together on Monday morning. Uh, and also interviews. I won't be here on Sunday, but uh, interviews uh, today and, and tomorrow, and obviously on Monday. But uh, what I'd like you to do now is penetrative looking, penetrative examination of mind. So when you have uh, periods of faultless, of course, faultless, settled, lucid, awake, uh, spontaneous, carefree wakefulness. Turn your consciousness, your attention to what is this attentive mind? What is this nature? And if you need to, which is very good, by the way, uh, does it have a shape? Does it have a location? Why? Because you'll go deeper that way. You say, of course I know it doesn't have a shape. But, but actually, you may be conceptualizing a shape, even though you think it doesn't have one. Mm-hmm. It's the shape of your body. It's the shape of your head. It's the shape of your eyeballs. The, the feeling is it's the size of the universe. 
Wrong. Which universe? I want to know which universe. Which of one, I want to know which one of 10 to the 500 universes it is. This universe? That universe? Which universe? As big as a football? As big as the, as big as the hands that catch the football. So, how big? How small? What color? Look, look, look. Penetrate, penetrate. Turn the attention and up the, uh, up the power. <laughs> Not so intense like that, but just a little bit of intensity. <coughs> but with that intensity, there must be the same attentive, settled calm, wakeful, lucid state. If it's getting too intense and it's getting too tight, you'll lose it. You'll shake the pranas. all about the pranas, balance the pranas. Okay? So be careful. Very intense, but not too very intense. Just like if it's too calm, it becomes dull, becomes stupid. So it must be a wakefulness, a lucidity. And go, I'll give you a hint. Go into it. Go into it. Look into it. Tell yourself you're going to look into it and then shut up. Be quiet. Pose your question. Pose your, 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 your work before you meditate. Settle into it and shut up. And let the bodhicitta, the intelligent bodhicitta, do the work, and it does the work, guaranteed. It'll do the work, and then see what, after the session, you gleamed. What did you glean? What is it? What did you pick up? Hmm? And move on. Next session. Next, take a break. Then next session. Next session. Use your eyes, too. Any questions about what to do? Now, if you're not at all able to uh, stay in a stable, thought-free, wakeful, aware space, then work on that. That's fine. This is very fast, by the way. If that's, that's fine. If you're not, I'm just moving. I'm giving you the actual course. It's like a mini course within a course. So if you're not, that's fine. Try it anyways. Try it. Get used to it. Sit in there. And then if you're, if you're not the place, come back to settling the mind, settling the mind, settling the mind. Or both. Not neither, but both. <laughs> Didn't say neither. Okay. Good. And I'll, I'll be over there and uh, seeing, seeing beings. If you wish. If you wish. If not, that's fine. You need time, by the way. You need time. You need patience. You need persistence. You need time to soak it in, settle in. And just be there, be there every day, all day long, 20 hours a day, 21 hours a day, 22 hours a day, in that bright quality of looking into the heart of awareness. That's the, that's the way. If you want stability, if you want real. By this uh, transmission of the Mahamudra from all of our precious lamas and all the precious beings who have who have uh, worked hard for us, uh, may it lead to the cessation of suffering for every single 
may all beings be well and happy and may all beings be established in a continuity of absolutely carefree, wakeful freedom. The nature of Dorji Palma, a full expression of Buddhahood, and the union of wisdom and compassion. Avam. Sarmangalam, 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 Sarmangalam.